All right, well, let's open in prayer. Father, as we come together this morning, I ask that your spirit would guide us in understanding and enlightening us in who you are and what you call us to do, and then that you would also work in us to will and to do your good pleasure in Christ's name. Amen. All right. The question is, how did this class uh, come about? I'm a very slow learner. Uh, I ask questions sometimes at session. Do I ask questions very often? All the time. All the time. And uh, uh, Bread has a way of turning it around on me. And you do that all the time, too. Yes. And we had had somebody over a year ago, uh, somebody in uh, to share with us. I can't remember who it was or the details, but something that we quite often say to each other uh, as an encouragement, or I might say it about myself, is you need to be in the word. You need to be in the word more. And... That was something that had been said to this person, be sure to be in the word. And after the person left, I asked the question, what do we mean when we say you need to be in the word? And what I was thinking at the time, and this is when Pastor Brett said, uh, Mr. Draper, that would probably make a very good Sunday school class. Why don't you look into that? That was over a year ago. I've been looking into it ever since. But uh, what I had in mind at the time was that each of us have our own ideas of what it means to be in the Word. Maybe you think in terms of, of uh, reading on a regular basis every morning. Maybe you think in terms of reading for half an hour, maybe 15 minutes. Maybe you think in terms of using a devotional. Uh, maybe even something with a study guide. I know the University Press, NAV Press, a number of organizations that put out study guides that you can use. Uh, Barb and I have been using Alec Mateer's two devotionals, one on Isaiah and one on um, the Psalms. And we've been reading them together now for a couple of years. When we finish, we start over again. We're really, really enjoying it. But when we say, you need to be in the Word, or I need to be in the Word more, what, what, what's our guideline there? So that's where the question started. What does it mean to be in the Word? Well, over the last year, that has... That has the, the whole question has really changed uh, in my mind. Uh, not the question, the whole concept of being in the Word has really changed, broadened. Uh, one of the one of the frustrations with with trying to put all this together. Um, one theologian was talking about teaching a class on systematic theology. And he said that repeatedly the class would get into a discussion about a certain topic. And before long, it had gone over into a, a different topic. But he said that's okay because one of the astonishing things about Scripture is how, how closely interwoven it all is. It's a unit. 
So it's been very difficult in this study to start talking about uh, what it means to be in the word because before long I found myself looking at the significance of prayer. Well, that, that could be a whole other Sunday school class, you know, the significance of prayer in our lives. Um, yeah, that's, that's just one example. And then the question of where to start. Uh, do I start with prayer? Do I start with my time in the word and move into prayer? How do we, how do we blend all of this together uh, in, our, in our spiritual lives? This, this whole concept of being in the word. So, um, I think what I want to do is take you just briefly to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you're welcome to look there if you wish. But I'm kind of telling you where we're going, and then we'll back up and start all over again. Okay? I don't mean just for today, but for the next six weeks, what I want to see us, us doing together. Uh, it's a very familiar passage, of course, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. There's, there is a a broad-based concept that Moses has to the significance of the word, that you are to take it in, that you are to share it, teach it to your children, uh, you're to talk about it when you're in your house, you're to talk about it when you're on the way, uh, and that is what I want us to do together eventually. That's, that's, that's where I want to see this class going, this time together going. Um, so we'll just start at the very beginning, and my, my question to you is this. The first question is, and this is a discussion time, okay? What is this? Nobody knows? The Word of God. You know what? This would be a good time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We'll see how this works. We haven't done this before. Uh, the Word of God. Sean? A rule of faith. A rule of faith. It's a guide for life. A guide for life. Commandments. <laughs> you know, you start down that road, and there's a lot of other words in there. Yes, and we will get to those. Okay. It's the revelation of our God. The revelation of God. Okay. Sean? The law of God. Okay. That's a good start. How's this working? 
We getting it? Oh yeah. Look at that. Okay. It's like okay. I'm missing it. Yeah. Anything? No, that's it. That covers the whole thing. <laughs> the significance of calling this the word of God is something that cannot be overstated. That is the most astonishing thing. This isn't even the emotional part. <laughs> that the God of the universe, our creator, chooses to communicate with us. It's just the significance of this is something we can't meditate on enough in our lives. So that's, yeah, this is good. And I was just doing this by way of reminding us what our focus is, where we're going with this. Who is it for? Everyone? What well, kind of narrowing it there, aren't you? You know what I should... Do you know what he said? Did you hear what he said? Everybody? Okay. Everyone... Who is scripture for? It's for everyone. It's for everyone under the rule of God. The duty is for all mankind. All mankind. Oh, you know what? You know, Okay. Okay, stop a second. I'm, I'm already missing one of my goals for this. I don't really... No, that's fine. I don't want this to be you and me or you and me and you. I want it to be us, okay? So when you talk, this, I want it to be the opposite. I remember at, at Presbytery, they always say, don't turn and address him if you've got a grief. You talk to the moderator, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? I'm not the moderator, Okay. We're in this together. So think of yourself when you're sharing, as sharing with everybody in the room. Yeah. His what? Fidelity. Fidelity. Okay. Sean? Yes, it, uh, scripture is for the, all mankind is without excuse. They have the word of God before them. But let me ask you this, who guides us in understanding scripture? Can you give me a text there? Anybody? Where does it say? Where does it talk about this? First Corinthians two fourteen. Thank you very much. If we look at Second Corinthians, I mean First Corinthians, chapter two. First uh, chapter two, verses nine through 
12, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the key, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, it is, we don't understand Scripture without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because they're spiritually discerned. Again, with this coordination of all of Scripture, all things being spiritually discerned, there's an internalizing there of of uh, of our spiritual walks. And we're going to see this. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Yes. Thank you. John 16, 13, and 14 there. Did you read both? You didn't read both verses, did you? No. Read those, would you? 16, 13, and 14. Okay, so we're led by the Spirit in understanding spiritual truths. God is talking to his own here. Uh, A related question, just kind of go with the flow that we have here. What does Scripture contain? That's how it's used. That's what it's used for. It would still, yes, it contains doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Uh, uh, Rex had mentioned commandments. Um, yeah, come on, what, what does scripture contain? Truth. Truth? The revelation of God Himself. Can you, you, uh, exp- I mean, God making Himself known. God making Himself known. Father, Son, Spirit, revealing who He is. Yes, revealing who He is. That's this is critical. And who we are. This is very important. Yes, <laughs> who we are and who God is. What's the best way to say that? We'll get to the best way to say that. That's a good question. How do we bring that down? Short says the scriptures principally teach what matters to believe concerning 
Yes, and how does Scripture reveal that? Through stories? Yes. Okay. All of the above. You just write down all of the above. Well, no. <laughs> Testimonies was what I heard, right? Okay. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6 again. You bet. Yes. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6. Uh, okay, what do I have here? Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 1. This is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Okay, commandment, statute. Statutes and rules. Yeah, yeah. Verse 17. This goes all through this section here, uh, the early part of Deuteronomy. Uh, Verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. And then also uh, verse 9 of chapter 7. Where are you? It was not because you were, okay, just, yeah, a bit of a section. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I, I think that Scripture generally can be brought into these categories that we see. No, no. But we'll stick with the word categories momentarily. Of, uh, we've got statutes, rules, commandments, testimonies. This is all of Scripture. The, uh, oh, handout. I have a handout. I um, thought I was saving money. I bought a bunch of folders. I think they're biodegradable or made out of recycled paper or something. The only problem is they're all the same color. Uh, and that's not a problem until you start <laughs> trying to put stuff together in different categories. So I've got five or six tan-colored folders all with different bits of information in them. So uh, what I am sharing with you and I'm handing out to you, if we if we look at... Psalm 19. No, 19. Psalm 19. We will get to Psalm 119 in a bit. 
No. No. Yeah. I, you know, one per family, maybe. Just, uh, no? Okay. Sorry. In Psalm 19, one of the beauties of this very special little psalm is it starts out with declaring how beautiful God's creation is. And then in the next section, it goes on to discussing how beautiful the Word of God is. And then it finishes with, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. What you created is beautiful. Your word is beautiful. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be beautiful also. It's just a, a, <laughs> a beautiful psalm. What I wanted to point out is, is verses 7, 8, and 9, that the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. The significance of the joy of the word of God. And we get the same thing in Psalm 119 in that what I handed out to you, if you notice at the bottom, kind of like little short working definitions. And working defini- little short definitions can be dangerous. Because they don't give you the whole scope of what the word means. But if you're like me, you have read Psalm 119 many times and you're seeing testimonies and precepts and statutes and commandments. And, okay, what's a precept? What's a statute? How are these different? They are, they are different. Um, it, he, the psalmist is not simply saying the same thing over and over again. They're slightly different, and uh, that those little definitions can help you out there. <clears throat> but what do they all have in common? Those words, testimonies, statutes, commands, rules. They're, authoritative. They're what? Authoritative. authoritative. What does that mean, Charlie? What do we do with stuff? What do we do with information? That's a, what do we do with that? It's authoritative. Can you say that louder to them? Not. Supposed to obey it. Obey it. <laughs> Obedience is an underlying theme for all of Scripture. Now, one of the things I hope we can get into here is there's something really astonishing when you start looking at like Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 is this this underlying theme of I enjoy, I love. I, the word is sweet. Um, we'll get there in a bit. But before we do, we've been looking at the Old Testament. How about in the New Testament? Are there this concept of authoritativeness or to be obeyed. Can you think of passages? 
Do you know where that's found? If you love me, keep my commandments. One of the Gospels. <laughs> John fourteen fifteen, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, just a little fun exercise here. I, um, Luke 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. The lawyer comes and says, what are the greatest commandments? Or Jesus asked him that. And he says, love your neighbor, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Uh, yeah, okay, uh, but who is my neighbor? Now, um, I need a volunteer to retell the story in your own words. The story of the Good Samaritan. It only takes just a couple of minutes. Charlie, go ahead. It was a, a priest, yeah. They were all Israelites. Okay. Yep. Go ahead. Okay, so this gentleman sees the person in distress, crosses, and keeps on going. And so is the second who comes. But then here comes a Samaritan who, according to the common knowledge of the time, are unclean outside of Okay, don't need a lot of color commentary, just the story. Yeah, and Jesus finishes by saying, who is the neighbor? And the lawyer answers, the good Samaritan. Is that where the story ends? Go and do likewise. Yes, thank you, Gary. Thank you. Go and do likewise. No different from Deuteronomy. These are the testimonies, the commandments, the statutes, the precepts. Do them. Okay? New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do likewise. Yeah, um, my question, and this is part of where we're going, my question is how often when we're reading the New Testament do we think go and do likewise? Colossians 3. Uh, most of you know that I really appreciate meditating, uh, yeah, mulling over the one another passages of the New Testament. And Colossians 3 speaks of teaching and admonishing one another. Go and do it, right? I, these are, are these suggestions? Go and do it? Or, or uh, teaching and admonishing? Well, First Thessalonians 5. Encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3. Exhort one another every day. Hebrews 10.24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. 
That's the ESV. King James Version says spur one another on, spur one another on. Uh, and a New American Standard, stimulate. Note the purposeful intensity of this passage. The, I, I, I can't believe that these are simply suggestions. But just like the story of the Good Samaritan, we have the responsibility to go and do it. Now, this is where the Sunday school class gets a little bit different, perhaps, from any Sunday school class you've been a part of before, because I want us to practice doing this, okay, as a, as a group. I've got notebooks here and pencils, and not, did you have something you wanted to share? Okay, we might. So hang on to those, yeah. Um, I only have six notebooks, so that means you guys are going to need to cluster. Uh, And I don't know if we'll get to that today. But what I'm wanting us to do is, again, jumping back to the passage in in Deuteronomy, where we are instructed to teach our children, think think about the word of God when we're lying down, when we're rising up, when we're on the way. These are these are directives that we are to follow. The danger that we have, that we live with, is very much uh, what James wrote about in, uh, what is that, chapter 2? Where he warns against seeing yourselves in the mirror and then walking away, forgetting what you look like. And I think it's very easy for me, I can see this for myself in these kind of passages where I look at bear one another's burdens and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And I think that's a really wise instruction. And I turn the page. You know, it's good principles. But they're not simply good principles. They're precepts and commandments that we are instructed to do, to practice. This is what we're called to do. So, as we move along, what I am wanting us to do is break into little groups periodically and take some of these questions like how, and this is your assignment for next week. <clears throat> how ought we to read, hear, or take in scripture? How are we supposed to read, hear, and take in scripture? That's, we will next week, I promise. We're going to break into some, you know, just turn around where you are, grab four or five people, take some notes, and then we'll come back together and share how do we do this? How do I, uh, no, something else here. It says to teach your children uh, to, to meditate on in the house, talk about it on the way. One of the part of that that we need to deal with is we don't all have children. We're not all married. Uh, some of us are married and the kids have moved away. Did I smile? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just being funny. I love my kids. Anyway. They're, uh, so part of this whole picture of how we do this together means we need to talk about how we do this with those also who are not married with kids uh, maybe married without kids, but how do how do we incorporate all of us in these directives that we find in Scripture and how we are supposed to be living together? 
many of us have engaged in conversations along this line that, uh, you know, we don't, we're not into the word with each other enough. And then we move on to another topic. What I would, I would really hope that we can do in the time we have together over the next few weeks is come up with some very specific ideas because we are a wide-ranging family of God here. You know, Centralia Alpha Road, Toledo, Shelton, Tacoma. But we're also a body that God has brought together. And we need to come up with some specifics on how we pursue uh, being the body that we are called to be. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. Okay. Sure, the ones like Colossians 3. That one, teaching and admonishing one another. Colossians 3, 16. First um, Thessalonians 5, 11. Encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3, 13. Exhort one another every day. Yeah, that's something else, as I was studying through this, uh, the Bereans, uh, we all know the Bereans, they listened to Paul, and then they looked into the word to see if what he was saying was correct. And I, very, I hadn't realized, I don't pay any attention to the rest of what went on there. They did it every day. Now, maybe that's, like all Jerusalem went out to see Jesus or all Jerusalem went out to be baptized. or whatever. But in any event, they did it a lot. It was, you know, they spent a lot of time in the word together determining whether or not what Paul was saying was, was accurate or not biblically. So Hebrews, and then Hebrews 10.24. Okay. Here's a question that I have for you also. When we look at Deuteronomy 6, how can I grow my spirit of loving, delighted, delighted uh, obedience? What, what I see happening, in, what I see reflected in Psalm 19 and what I see in Psalm 119, this profound love and desire to be in the word how do i how do i develop that any thoughts sean it begins in worship It begins with prayer. A lot of the verses in Psalm 119 are prayers. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Yeah. Charlie?
Okay. Yeah, it's a together thing. It needs to be a together thing. Yes. In the Word. Peter likens the, the Word of God to the imperishable seed that creates in us imperishable life. We're to crave the Word like a baby craves milk. So the Word itself gives us more of a desire for the Word itself. Spending said, time in the Word generates more desire to be in the Word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is true. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sean? Some of them are very nicely leather bound too. Yes. Okay. What's a testimony? Ari. What you share about. Okay, how about, yeah, what you share about experiences? How about in Scripture? When, when Scripture is referred to as God's testimony, what does that mean for us? It's just what Ari was saying. It's God, this is the astonishing, do I have this in a note? Uh, I thought I did. <clears throat> The astonishing thing that God is testifying, yeah, a little, a brief, uh, uh, to bear witness. What God bears witness to about himself, his truth, and his requirements. Absolutely. And where I'm going with this, we'll finish up with this today and hopefully we'll expand on it um, in the next couple of weeks. All of Scripture is God's testimony. When the psalmist says, I, will, I run to do your commandments, or uh, there's, I delight in your law, I believe it's because it's based on God's testimonies. Uh, 
We have testimonies in the New Testament. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're so familiar with these passages. That is God's testimony of his love. And just a a quick Old Testament example. Every Sunday morning, we go to the law. And we start out with, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They get it right? Okay. Close? That's close? Okay. That's a testimony. Now, I hope this doesn't sound heretical, but I wish that the translators had stuck with Yahweh as a name for God. Because the word Lord, it's a title, it's a position that God has, and it's true. But what we have there, and it happens over and over again, I am Yahweh. I'm not Baal. I'm not Dagon. I'm Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. Okay. So, before telling us how we're supposed to live, what does God do? Are there New Testament parallels to this to this statement? I am the Lord who brought you out of slavery. New Testament parallels? Well, and I quoted it just a minute ago. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's being brought out of slavery, isn't it? Hmm? Isn't it? Pretty sure. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Brian. Because I think that this statement that we have there at the beginning of the Decalogue, it's also a statement of love. It isn't simply, I am God, therefore obey. It's, look how much I loved you, walk in obedience before me. I think, I think it's a, it can be seen also as a love passage. Yes, it wouldn't matter if, if it wouldn't matter what our relationship is. God is God, and he requires obedience. But we're also seeing a God of love here. I am the one who brought you out of slavery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I think as we meditate on these kind of passages, which I hope we'll ever be able to do in the next few weeks, out of that spirit of meditating, whether it's on my bed or in the room or in my house or talking about on the way, the familiarity with these passages of love, the Holy Spirit, I, I, I wanted to say should, this should happen. I can't see how it would keep from happening. If that is my focus on Scripture, then it will become, like in Psalm uh, 119, I run to do your law. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Out of love and understanding of God's love, everything changes. It's not a slavery. It's a life of loving obedience for the one who brought us out of slavery. Yes. Like First John 5, 3, love toward God is this, that we keep his commandments and they're not burdensome. Because he first loved us. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We're off, we're off and running. Uh, again, next week, your assignment, and we'll be breaking into groups to do this. Bring some scripture passages, titles of books you've read, because we're going to share you know, personal insights into how we read, hear, and take in scripture. Okay? Would you close in prayer? God, our Father, we thank you that you gave us your word, that um, it is an authority for us, uh, something that we can look to when we wonder, how should we live? And we pray that as we explore this over the coming weeks, that you will guide us, that you will guide our thoughts, that you will help this to be good instruction for us in how to apply your word to our lives. Thank you for Tim, who has brought this all together, and we pray that you bless the efforts as we go forward. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.